Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next podcast here at Treknababble. This is Kevin. This is Matthew. And we are going to be reviewing to the Deep Space Nine Season 4 episode, To the Death, today. Yeah. Um, couple of, I like this episode a lot, and uh, not the least of which is it uh, introduces us to uh, Wayun and reintroduces us to the fabulous actor Jeffrey Combs, who uh, you know is going to become a recurring character now <coughs> for a very good reason, um, in that he's wonderful. Yeah, you know, um, Brunt was okay, but this is a real showcase for yeah. Jeffrey Combs. So it's definitely his sort of stepping out uh, onto the, the big stage in Star Trek. Well, um, no, I think it's safe to say that, you know, as Armin Shimmerman is to the Ferengi, I think he is to the Vorta. I think the, like, he infuses well, there, it with so much that it... There's no other Vorta yeah. besides Jeffrey Combs. Yeah. You know? Uh, all due respect to the two previous, the, the previous male Vorta was pretty decent. Uh, he was, he was almost there. You yeah. Know? It was, it was almost what we eventually see with yeah, this. And there's, there's one later one, um, the woman in, in the ship and she's good. I like her, but I think it's clear that she's, you know, the, the notes she got were straight out of this playbook. Mm. Um, well, and uh, this is another big Jemadar episode, so uh, we'll see how we feel about that. And I guess you could say this is a lead-in to the, the season finale. Yeah. Uh, with uh, changeling sorts of issues. Uh, okay, well, let's get started. All right. Uh, I'm, I'm queued up. Yes, everybody should prepare themselves, get their disks or files ready. And we will all press play together on three, in three, two, one, press play. <coughs> so I've always found it a little strange when episodes start on the Defiant, you know, because it's like, huh, I guess they've just totally made this like the other Star Trek series. Yeah. But... Yeah, I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world. It, it, it's just, you know, everybody's sort of on the ship instead of on the station. I, I mean, I guess it makes a certain amount of sense. This is sort of the Starfleet command crew. But then I do kind of wonder who's on the station. Yeah, because uh, it's literally just, I think it's Kira and Odo must literally be the only two senior officers left. That is a little weird. Well, and it's weird that there there's no, uh, you know, sort of not flag level, but at least commander level Starfleet officer. Yeah. Uh, because it's a Starfleet installation, you know. Yeah. It's like, are we just letting the Bajorans run it, or what? So Warforder is an extra large prune juice, and that's this a, is, is, I guess that's a pretty big cup, but still. For, for fruit juice, I mean. Well, I th prune juice, I think, has some uh, gastrointestinal yeah. properties that might make it inadvisable to have a larger cup than that. All right, so they went for a joke with their opening scene, and I, I think it worked <coughs> overall. Like, eh, it was okay. It, it's not like laugh out loud, but it, 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 it's it's subtly played. They didn't beat the joke to death. Well, I think Bashir should have resisted for 10 seconds or something, you know, yeah. or have a stare down or something. He just gave up. It's okay. a very cool effect. That is a really cool optical. I do wonder how the debris got away from the station and hangs there. 
yeah. Shouldn't have been completely blown away <laughs> from the station. Gravitational field shield? Maybe it's a shield. I mean, if, it, if, it, if they were spinning in place, I guess gyroscopically they could have stabilized themselves, but tiny problems. Yeah. yeah I think you're right. Um, I always kind of wondered... You know, that's obviously some very serious damage. Yeah. Uh, if they repair it, and they repair it so that it looks identical to the way it looked before... Well, you know, you, you, like, you, know you, you get out your Pantone color wheel and you you, you match that you match it exactly. They can do that now. You take a, you give them a picture. Hey, you take a paint chip to the hardware store <laughs> and they they scan it. I know it's amazing, but I just wonder why they wouldn't upgrade it or something. Yeah, you know, like that's some good at, uh, burn work. I'm surprised she's not more visibly in pain. That looks really painful. That arm injury. Um, well, she's she's accustomed to yeah. dealing with injury. I like Bashir going right into doctor mode. It looks good. He plays it well. Like I'll say it again. Anytime they let Bashir be a doctor, he usually does it well. So, you know, have him do that rather than be annoying and he'll be a much better character. What I want to know is what's going on just outside of view of camera in that where these extras are running back running and back forth. Running back and forth. Because th that's not a hallway. Uh, some nice damage work here, which covers up the sort of eh matte painting yeah. on the back so that's good that that works for me <coughs> i'm surprised they took the time to dock at all really well yeah <laughs> it would have been interesting if they could have worked in the damage to that departure scene obviously this is just a reuse of something yeah uh so it's a very uh you know it's not a boring opening. Yeah, it's 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 definitely good. Really, they could have cut the Bashir joke uh, for what it's worth. Um, not that it was terrible. So, you know, I mean, what has been going on for the past few um, episodes? You know, it, it seems like not a whole lot has been going on in terms of... Uh, Certainly sort of the, develop, developing the, the Dominion, Dominion arc, arc, yeah. Well, and so, you know, it's it's just kind of interesting. Yeah, we, that... yeah, we really since, since rules of engagement, we really haven't visited either the um, Klingon or Dominion plots. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and so for the cause was sort of this perfunctory maquis thing. <laughs> and do you think? I mean. Do you think they were doing that because they felt it was necessary to keep that arc going with Voyager? You know, I don't know. I can um, see that, actually. Well, I mean, not that it doesn't have anything to do with... Uh, well, maybe it doesn't have much to do with Bajor, does it? It's, it's like, it's got, got the Cardassians in it, but that's about it. You know? Yeah. Um, but I suppose they've really de-emphasized the whole Bajor thing, too. Um. I mean, when was the last... Was a session the last Bajor episode? Yeah, it might have been. And that was the Dajara thing, which... Ugh, not, not a great show by any stretch. <sighs> I, that had the potential for me. I, I didn't dislike it. And <coughs> I, I, I wish... I, I like the writer of that particular episode a great deal and wish her episode had been better. But it, yeah, it didn't come together. Well, so I feel like um, this season is... You know, it started off really strong, and there was a lot of really good stuff going on. And it's kind of, 
it certainly has not petered out to the the depths of you know some of the early stuff uh where there would just be you know interminable stretches uh i don't think that's the case at all here but it did seem like they were you know i wonder when they they accept story pitches you know yeah they they originate some story pitches in-house and those are the ones that are the sort of you know water boy carriers you know the, the ones that are doing a lot of heavy lifting for the overall story you know and then they get pitches from outside i would have to look at the writers of the episodes and stuff um that's a nice look at the uh, yeah. scarab ship looks like it's pretty obviously cgi um there was a bit of uh <coughs> jagged edges and you know stuff like that from 90s effects um but it still looked good you know, so I wonder if sometimes these like back thirds of seasons uh, are where they stick stuff. Yeah, they want to make sure their budgets go to the the heavy lifting episodes in the in the first third, you know, and then in the the finale, the last couple. Um, so this is directed by Levar Burton. <coughs> There's a lot of non-speaking extras uh, in Starfleet uniforms in this episode. It's uh, Screen Actors Guild stuff. You get yeah. a different scale if you speak. Okay, they, I, I like... I, this is one of those uses of the transporter that I like. It's consistent with previous uh, uses where weapons have been disabled in transport, and it makes sense that they would do that. So the technology is being consistently used for its logical purpose, and that always makes me happy. So, right away, really good. Uh, ah, such great body language. Yeah, I mean, and I love that it's so different than Brunt. Yeah, like until you until you, I saw the credits, it had not occurred to me that these were the same guy. Like, there's a few times when Brunt is talking. If you listen real carefully, that there's like a breathiness to his delivery that you go, "Oh, okay, now I see it." But short of that, yeah, they're not. They're completely dissimilar. Um, l listening to a lot of interviews with Jeffrey Combs about the Wayun character, he he talks about where he drew, you know, inspiration from, and he you know mentions like you know, Renaissance French diplomats and things, and you can you can totally see it. There's like a knowing obsequiousness to this character like he's lying and you know he's lying but since you both know he's lying you can cut through that and possibly get things done and he's ruthless but not cruel for its own sake it's it's a layered part he's he's not just evil and that makes him far more interesting well there's going to be a scene later on in which uh you know the dialogue indicates that he does believe he's doing the right thing right he's he's in a way principled yeah you know so you you kind of wonder whether the vorta as a, a people are um this is you know i hate it of course when they have you know whole races that have a particular job person personality or yeah. something no I, I don't mind the whole job thing because that makes some sense with the dominion with their mo yeah you know it's like, well, these people are good at X, so we're going to make all of them do that. Um, that doesn't bother me. But 
that they do share this sort of unctuous personality, um, which works great here. But it, it kind of, you know, we never saw like a gruff, yeah, uh, Vorta or a, you know, a taciturn Vorta or a, right. a, a Vorta lacking in charm. Okay, so there's a couple of things I like about this episode already in that it kind of subverted my expectations. When the episode starts with one of the pylons being destroyed and them chasing the Jemadar back to the Gamma Quadrant, you expect a whiz-bang episode, but I expected a mu- like certainly just a straightforward the Jemadar attack story, you know, like something like The Search that ended that had a big battle in it. Um, and any fan of Next Generation just, you know, peed themselves a little because they were thrilled at the mention of the Iconians. Like, um, and I'd say this is a pretty good use of continuity where enough exposition exists in the dialogue for a new fan or someone who just didn't see Contagion to know what's going on. But it definitely makes me clap my hands delightedly when they do things like this. Sure. Um, It seems pretty clear that it might be Robert Hewitt Wolf specifically uh, is just like a gigantic fan of um, like World War II, uh, you know, sort of thrillers. Yeah. Where you know, like the Magnificent Seven is that what it's called? You know. Yeah. Where it's like the plot is about preparing for the thing, you know, and the thing is the climax of the plot, which was about preparing for the thing. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying that in a you know pejorative sense at all. It's 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 a well-worn plot because it works. You know, it it, it builds up your tension because you're along for the you know preparing, right. and then you're you're curious how it's going to work out. Uh, so, and something I, I I like about this episode, and only wish they had engaged more directly either in this or in another episode, the the control over the Jem'Hadar even with the you know ingrained drug addiction is not perfect and that actually makes sense i mean if you want something i mean it's it's a trope of a of a thousand science fiction and non-science fiction military movies that the sentient robots you made eventually turn on you so obviously there is some tension between having a being self-aware and intelligent enough to be worth the effort to create them but not so self-aware and intelligent that they start to question why they're in servitude. And that's an obvious tension with the Jem'Hadar, and they explore it, in fact, in almost every story that they do that focuses on the Jem'Hadar. It's the Jem'Hadar who have done or want to break Dominion control, and I would have liked them to engage that a little more philosophically, just directly. I think that would have been an interesting episode. Like, you know, really... Like, like more than with data, I think Measure of a Man, that story would be a really good one for the Jem'Hadar. Because yeah. I think there's a more legitimate question. Are they independent, sentient, free-willed beings or not? And are, is there a place in between? But that that would be a fun question. But yeah, that, that's a little aside. And again, Worf mentions being on the mission because of course he would, because he was. Just really good, subtle, organic continuity filled writing just really nice yeah um i do have a question Mm -hmm. and the question is this uh of course my question you know is going to be asked in the context of knowing some of the stuff they're going to talk about but 
Worf says that they found the Iconian homeworld, which is, of course, consistent with Contagion. Uh, yeah. Now, part of this question does come from the fact that Contagion was a season two TNG episode in which they didn't have, you know, massive budgets or time. Uh, you know, it was a strike shortened season, etc. You know, to really develop it. But this gateway that they're going to go to is housed in like a, a much a, nicer building. Yeah, a barracks made of solid neutronium, which I don't even know if like a planet could support something like that. But, also, how do you? That always gets me. How do you build with a substance you can't destroy? Yeah, <laughs> you, you cannot move and shape a building. Uh, that you maybe, maybe they somehow change the the they build it out of something else and then change it into neutronium. Yeah. Um, and so that that really is the the crux of my question. You know, it's yeah. like this like super distant outlying outpost seems to be much much more advanced and more secure than the homeworld of the Iconian Empire. You know, it, it's a nerd thing. Yeah. You know, it's it's something that a nerd is going to say. And I freely admit to being the nerd who says it. Yeah. Um, you know, but it does occur to me, so I feel I should mention it. I like Omedaclan a lot. I like—I uh, think this guy's name is Clarence Williams the Third. I thought it was a really nice performance, uh, but I like the the writing too. Yeah. You know, it's—they uh, give him a, a principled sort of worldview. Which of course is something that we find distasteful, but it makes sense. Like it's yeah. internally consistent. Yeah. L later on in the scene when he when he kills his second, um, it's great because it was a really organic way to explore Jem'Hadar like interactions and structure. It's a look at their world, and and again in a way that makes like internal sense to them. And without having to have it explained to me, they just showed me how it works, and you learn something. I find it odd that. Jemadar is sitting. Yeah. So I guess it's like a like a ziggurat or something. I think they actually refer to it explicitly as a ziggurat at one point. <coughs> it was a nice uh, little CGI. Yeah. Schematic. So they, you know, Chief O'Brien's going to ask the obvious question: Why can't we just, uh, you know, obliterate it from space? And so it does it, – it just raises the question why they felt the need to do it, you know? It's like clearly the writers felt that they'd be better off having like hand-to-hand -hand combat. Like that's more dramatic or interesting or something. Certainly. Um, so now Wayun says quantum torpedo wouldn't necessarily destroy our objective. Wouldn't you try? Well, why not just level the entire city with quantum? It would kill the people in the building, right? And well, then, or, like... or at least kill all the people outside the building. Right, you know? right. Just it's... like thin out the ranks a little bit. Well, it, it's one of those places where they back themselves into a corner because, like, I appreciate them asking the obvious question, but their answer isn't quite up to snuff. Yeah, well, and, and that's the thing. It's like it feels like the plot is dictating that they have to go in and, you know, punch things. As opposed to, you know, using the technology. I mean, there, there's going to be another instance coming up where, you know, for some reason, the technology doesn't work. You know, uh, and he did just call it a ziggurat. Um, it just, like, 
that's annoying, right? It, it's yeah, kind of like yeah. it's kind of like in a Metroid game where you lose all your powers at the beginning of the game, and you have to like go through the game to regain each power. It's like I get that that's like a way of building drama or something, but it's still artificial and right. it still reeks of artificiality. And so I'm just pointing a finger at it right now. So here's it, Brian Thompson. It doesn't derail the episode for me because. The, the the cheapness is in service of scenes like this, and they work. They're interesting. I I have to say, more than any other, um, you know, aggressive warlike people, save the Klingons themselves. I'm really impressed by both the makeup and the actors they cast to for you know for a genetically engineered warrior race. There's a lot of diverse personality on display inside the Jem'Hadar, and there always has been. I mean, from the first one in Jem'Hadar. There's a attitude and a unique look on their faces that is really like interesting, and I, I appreciate that level of craft. Yeah, I mean, it kind of makes you wonder why they didn't just clone the best Jemadar. Right. But whatever. <laughs> I agree with you. I mean, hey, any any chance for Brian Thompson to get more uh, work on yeah. Trek is cool with me. Um, so... They're doing these training exercises, and are, are they, like, told to play dead? <laughs> you know? I don't yeah. know. I, it, and it's not the holodeck, right? It's not like it's a simulation of the engine room. We're supposed to read that it, as... It's in the engine room. They don't have a holodeck on them, yeah, presumably. Yeah, I mean, it, it wouldn't make sense. <laughs> I sure hope not. Like, they don't um, have a sick bay. Well, and the, so these phasers are being tuned to, like, some really low setting or something. Um best game of laser tag ever. I actually have more than one phaser toy in my possession because various friends have found them and thought, oh, I should get this for Kevin, not realizing that I already have them. I'm going to strip them out and put in laser tag. It'll be the best <laughs> game of laser tag ever. Yeah. So, you know, this is an interesting uh, scene in terms of pointing out that obvious differences between right. humans and Jem'Hadar, and I think it's effective. And yeah, they're yeah. gonna they're gonna come back to this idea again um, in a little while. I, I guess it's the uh, the speech that Omedaclan gives about yeah. oh, yeah. dead. Yeah. <clears throat> so overall, you know like I'm like I said, you know, this is an effective use of the Magnificent Seven type plot. Yeah, and, and it's it, it the episode so far. Is, I mean, another episode just like this is Blood Oath. I mean, yeah, Blood I, I, right down exactly to the, right into the inability to use particle weapons. Um, something I really like about this episode, in many places, like just like I was talking about earlier, is a lot of the depth they're giving to the Jem'Hadar is in a show me, not tell me kind of way. So rather than just have a lot of speeches about how the Jem'Hadar are different, we're seeing it play out. Well, and I, I like Cisco's response to a lot about uh, the healthy fear of death keeps him on his toes, because th that's something that's always gotten me in a lot of in a lot of fantasy and science fiction when it comes to warlike races. A race of a, a group of fighters who is pathologically unable to execute a tactical retreat, no matter how strong they are, is always, always, always going to lose. 
that is just it is just not possible to win if you cannot actually reassess the situation and make a strategically wise withdrawal. I mm-hmm. I, I just listened to about 200 episodes on the of podcasts on the on the history of Rome and they won because they could retreat so well they literally exhausted their enemies. Mm-hmm. So it's just it just drives me crazy that <coughs> it is the the internal presumption that you just have to be stronger and angrier to win. No, you actually have to be much smarter. Just yeah. little things like that. But and again, so, they display um, that great stuff. This is a turbo lift red that has got to be. Or doesn't Cisco halt the turbo? He does. He does. Yeah. But it still takes much longer before that halt. <laughs> right. Uh, this is like a five deck ship. Right. You know, this is like the opposite of the turbo lift. This is like the hypo lift or something. It's like it hardly gets you anywhere. <laughs> very very slowly. Yeah. It's like now it's just I'm telling you the drama circuit knows. Well, he at least halted it. Reactivate turbo lift. They should just call it a lift. Yeah, it's an average lift. It's like an Otis, you know, elevator. Regular elevator. Yeah. Um, I really liked the again. I like this scene because the Jem'Hadar have an internal life <coughs> and a view of the universe. So they are clearly more than automatons, even if you can make a reasonable argument that their free will has either been subverted or is non-existent. Um, there's, that's, that's more interesting than a ra- you know, an army of clones or an army of robots. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> speaking of an army of clones, you know, this episode in a vacuum is more interesting than all of the Star Wars prequels, which is <laughs> ostensibly about a clone army. Well, which... You know, I'm going to say it, the Muse inside its four walls was more interesting than the Star Wars prequels. Hmm, that's a good question. Yeah. There's a Sophie's choice, but yeah, I just... I'd have to think about that. I think the Muse had some some things going for it. So we're talking about Jemadar and birthing chambers, which this is really kind of ex- expository because, of course, this territory was already covered. Covered in the abandoned, yeah. Yeah. I do like this idea. No Jemadar has ever lived 30 years. Um, although I kind of wonder how he knows that. Yeah. Do they have a convention? Right. <laughs> or, or some sort of news service? Honored elders. Honored by whom? By just within their own ranks? By the Vorta? Well, by... It's interesting. Well, The way Omedaclot reacts to having to execute his second in a minute indicates yeah. there is some internal life in the barracks of these people you know like which is fine like even if it was an unattended side effect of their creation i think uh that that's something interesting like they they have a culture even if it's not one the founders made for them <coughs> and again i like this scene here since this this is a good speech from Worf here about i i, I like it i like the idea that the Klingon dry lust for battle is not the same as the Jem'Hadar lust for battle. And I like the, the way they draw that out. Yeah. They want glory. You know, they want the, the glow after. Right. (laughs) I I like this, you know, the way is staring at him. 
Yeah. It's re- well, it's well played. It's consistent yeah. with previous Warta uh, episodes. So there's a lot of quiet stuff in this episode. Yeah. A little production note. I really want that Starfleet thermos. Yeah. Yeah. I can't I really believe, que- I can't I believe question they don't whether. Yeah, that is kind of hard to believe. Yeah. I question whether the the Jemadar would be allowed to carry around the white. I question, like, did 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 Wayun have it in his hands coincidentally, or did the drama circuit in the transporter know? Don't take the weapons, but do take the white. <laughs> I love the way he delivers the uh, the sort of speech. Yeah. It's just really good acting. You know, his face. Like, yeah. he's got this annoyed, weary look on his face. And the, the Jemadar all dedicated. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, if you had to say an oath every day, maybe more than <laughs> once a day, wouldn't it eventually start to ring hollow, even if you still believed the underlying sentiments. Well, it's just a nice touch. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's a ritual that makes it seem like there's a real thing. Yeah, that, that they've done before. They're not just doing yeah. it this one time for the episode. Yeah. Yeah, so Brian Thompson... Having watched some of the special features, he's definitely among the weirdest uh, guest actors, <laughs> just like in terms of personality. Yeah. But damn if he doesn't, uh, you know, just nail it each time. I mean, it's all in his wheelhouse. It's not like he's, yeah. you know, doing Hamlet or something. Yeah. But he's just got a good physical presence. He delivers his lines well. I like the smile on his face yeah. there. Okay. I, I always like I always enjoy playing find the stunt double. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure both of those were stunt doubles. Yeah, Cisco just happened along at the right time to say a, you know, yell something. It's a nice character note for Worf that he would obviously not deny his role in the fist fight. See, it. now I agree with you that this is a nice sort of development scene in terms of the Jemadar. Yeah. Uh, I kind of question that it's so easy to break people's necks. This is, it, this is not a problem just in Star Trek. You know, it's like actually not that easy. Right. To break it, there's a lot of muscles in there. You really have to, it, it's not, it's not a common way to go. Um, I mean, if it were that easy, football games would have two or three fatalities. Please, you know, rolling over in your sleep might be fatal. Um, Anyhow, um, I, I wish they had had the discussion. They, they, I mean, they're they're going to talk about it here, but Cisco never makes the point that, yes, I understand that discipline is important and that you know your claim that he is a danger to his unit uh, is an interesting and valid one. But we're so shorthanded on this, right. you know, that you're actually not serving the strategic interest, you know, to do it. Okay, that that's point number one. Yeah. Point number two is this, like, I just 
don't get how the Brian Thompson character could be willing to have that fight. You know, knowing the consequences. Yeah. Well, Unless knowing he... the knowing Unless... the consequences and apparently caring about. I mean, the the whole reason the fight starts is because he wants to train for the battle. Yeah. Because he's apparently invested in it. You know, and so it's like it kind of doesn't make sense internally for his character, for him to be willing to do it. How did he rise to be second? You know, is he like having a bad month? You know, does he have a nagging injury? You know, does he, is he concussed or something? Like, yeah, I, I, I see that. I mean, what's happened in the, you know, in the past X amount of time that has made his actions different than the previous several years that he was the second to Ometiclon. You know, why would Ometiclon keep him around? I really have to question the design sense of having something that you have to step over like that. I guess it's like, it's supposed to be like a port porthole. Or like a bulkhead, yeah, like something you can seal off. Yeah, in a ship. I love the way... Jeffrey Combs, it's like he almost looks like he wants to kiss him. There's a real, there's a thoughtfulness to the way he delivers his lines. Like it's, it's almost, it's almost like music. There's a, like he's just really good at giving phrases, like a, like the little pauses are just really expertly executed. He's so obsequious. So apparently in the script, he's supposed to touch him on the arm or something. Yeah. Uh, which you can very, I mean, you have to know it's happening to be able to make out how his shoulder moves. Um, but then I guess it was supposed to be he was transmitting some sort of disease. Right, right, right. It's a great line. I'm an expert at lies, telling them and spotting them. I, lo- like, I, lo- I love it. It's just such great character work. So, has he been in communication with the founders? Is this something that they've told all the Vorta? I suppose I don't care what the answer is, but I would like to know just out of curiosity's sake. Because either makes sense. He's covertly communicated with the founders that they're on the Defiant, or it's a standing order. Either either works. I, I think I'd prefer if he were in communication with the founders. Yeah, that would be a that would be better. I can't believe yeah, I yeah, it would make less sense that um he uh Yeah, I I I guess either would work. I think you're right. You know. Well, one is just I mean, more interesting. He's he's well, oh, see he's not the only spoor they sent out. Right. They sent out other changelings. Um but as far as we know, he's the only one that they know exists. Now. Right. This scene might be laying it on a bit too thick. I know it's almost like, like all, all they need is some twenty-year-old officer talking about his girlfriend back home right before he gets it right between the eyes. Yeah. You know, it, it's funny that you mentioned World War II movies because 
I didn't. Th- th- that was not a particularly favorite genre of mine as a kid. But now that I've seen them just in the course of my life, that there are about well, a solid third eventually of this show right out of the World War II movie playbook. Yeah. And again, not bad. They're good movies for a reason. There, there's a reason this resonates with the viewers and the reason it resonated with the writers in the first place. But you're right. This is laying it on a little thick. Well, I'm not saying the whole episode has been laying it on thick, but, but this this, this is... just might be going a teensy bit too far. And it's not bad. Like It's a, it's a genuine moment because the actors are good enough to, to carry it off. like yeah i after all it's been going on with o'brien you know yeah it's uh that's the problem it's not a problem of this episode it's a problem of the let's bash o'brien trend um you know it just becomes less and less believable that he's not number one a quivering mass of you know yeah neuroses but number two that he wouldn't mention it's like it's been really tough for Keiko these past few years you know yeah and I keep putting myself in harm's way I mean the dude should retire <laughs> yeah you figure start I mean he's vested in that pension I mean it's gotta be I, I did like the little a uh, little look on Cisco's face when he sees Worf enter the engine room like he his demeanor snapped to annoyed at having an order disobeyed it was a it, it was a nice touch I like the scene though. Yeah. This is a good scene. It is pretty obvious advice. Yeah. This is really the best part of the scene. Yeah. He will not live to boast yeah. about it. Michael Dorn has really mastered the I'm going to be louder by being quieter thing. And it works, it works well, both, you know, just in terms of, you know, how actors act and it's great for the character. Worf's at his best when he's not shouting about his Klingonness, but when he's like speaking in such a bass voice that it's just barely perceptible to human ears and you more register it as like a vibration in your feet. Like that's the sweet spot for, for Worf's character. And I always like when, when Worf goes there. I wonder if Vandros for was named for Luther. <laughs> I like I like the hesitation. We are apparently giving the Jem'Hadar our weapons. That being said, they are pretty powerful, and aside from some Trek foo issues aside, theoretically they could have easily killed <sighs> in hand to hand combat. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get there. I've learned to accept it as part of the start, as part of the kabuki of the of the Star Trek world. It is simply the manner in which, for want of the resources and the medium, you pantomime well, the combat. See, here's the thing: they are going to do episodes in later seasons of Deep Space Nine where they actually have battles where they fire at each other. You know, yeah. and that makes sense. You know, these are humans. These are not Klingons. These are not Jemadar. You know, these are not genetically engineered or bred people. These are not people who make it a point to become expert hand-to-hand combatants. Yeah. You know, 
and so it just makes more sense that they would use what are they good at? Technology. Right. They would use technology to fight, not their bodies. They haven't evolved for this at this point, you know? Um, so, again, this is a nice scene. Yeah. The Vorta, you know, he's got a little smirk on his face. Um, point, yeah. So there's the ziggurat. It's not a bad I, ziggurat. I really like this location yeah. generally. Uh, I like the fact that they've got some different looking trees. Right. It, it kind of looks like a redwood forest. Right. It doesn't look. It doesn't look like the same park they always go to. Yeah. It might be the same park. It could very well just be a different section. But yeah, it looks looks good. Well, and some of those plants are kind of obviously uh, placed. So I, I think this is a landscaped uh, park. Yeah. So yeah, something must be interfering with our equipment. Like, couldn't they figure that out yeah. from orbit? So again, we like the uh, the sort of morphing invisibility effect. Um, I really, I think the Jemadar sword is cool looking. Yeah. Th thank God the Rebel Jemadar wearing the uh, vests. Yeah. They're otherwise, dressed in black. Yeah, this would be like the worst game of shirts and skins ever. Like we have no. You know, Oh no, we lost Ramirez. It's always the Latina. <laughs> or Latino. Um, yeah, but it's a really cool weapon. I assume that's a Dan Curry original. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's got the handles and stuff. So yeah, there's like dudes outside. They could have fired some torpedoes and took those dudes out. Um, you'd think that if you could just eliminate the ground outside the neutronium ziggurat you know you could like tip it over right so it would work you know so, maybe yes. they could have come up with something better like an explosion of that size might have gone through the gateway like what's what's to stop the, the here's a question what stops the explosion that destroys the gateway from propagating through the gateway what if there were an ethical problem yes we can destroy the gateway from orbit but if we did so we might inadvertently bring doom on a dozen of unsuspecting worlds that would be that's a great star trek question just saying yeah so when Worf like slashes somebody's face off i i believe it right you know but like this you know like having witty banter right as uh, i just i i michael dorn has done a really good job of like i more than just being a Klingon, Michael Dorn, the actor. Um, oh, he's has, got the physicality. He, he, his his like stance, the way he holds himself, like he clearly did his homework. Why um, did they have to smuggle Odo in? Besides, yeah. just an excuse to use this effect. <laughs> I mean, the door is open. Yeah. Right? The quantum torpedo should have done some damage inside. Right. I like that they're clearly using the same like two rooms with back corridors over and sure. over again, but it's not bad. And okay, let's play identify the map paintings because there's a couple in there that have made frequent well, appearances there's future in Paris. Star Trek. Yeah, and um, the one that's like Angel One and Malcor and every other Federation world. Yeah, several star bases. Um, so I do have a question about this effect generally. Number one, it's going very quickly. But number two, um, it's like the camera angle seems to be like above 
like in the distance yeah, like yeah, you're looking at a yeah. vista so it's like when you walk through this do you like fall into space and like drop 20 feet you know it's like you think you feel like the camera angle should be like on pavement you know well Not i was like, like yeah because you, you figure maybe it's just a like it's like the screenshot. That's the preview. Of, right. It's not where you go, but the one, the effect you <coughs> were getting on both the Romulan and Enterprise, the Romulan ship and the Enterprise, was you walk through the door. Yeah, and you like walk the door through there. there. That's it. So it's clear they're using matte paintings. So that's an instance where I actually think the TNG effect was better done. Yeah. Than the effect here. Not that it looked bad. It looked fine. It just kind it of raised sense, questions. Yeah. So do you feel like this was a little anticlimactic? Yeah, we didn't get to see the explosion. That's true. <laughs> that's uh, I wonder if that's Rodriguez. Yeah. I wonder if he's upset Ramirez is dead. Um, so <laughs> there's the writers doing something before they uh, got the fan response. Yeah. But apparently the fan response to Wayun was extremely strong. Yeah. And so they had to, you know, concoct this sort of cloning thing to get get him back, uh, which was fine. It worked out well. And it uh, makes it's it, it's complete. It, it doesn't break the Dominion at all. The idea that their Vorta are cloned. I do wonder at how often they like back themselves up because they do seem to have contiguous knowledge of their previous uh, clones' exploits. But that's yeah, a we'll get issue. to that when we get there. <laughs> that's certainly an interesting. And not well answered question. Yeah, I didn't quite buy that his that questioning their loyalty was enough to kill him because that seems to justify his concern about your loyalty. That's like a <laughs> yeah. little circular. Um, but even that, I mean, internally it makes sense. Like I almost like the fact that there are Jem Hadar who disagree with what the other Jem Hadar were doing, but still are not fans of the Vorta because a third faction of ideas and interest absolutely more dramatically interesting yeah it definitely deepens the Jemadar. i don't know that it's really developed yeah all that much after this episode um this seems like one of those episodes where it's like we're gonna put three or four new balls into play and, and see, what, see what shakes out yeah see what shakes out you know and so we're never gonna see like a Jemadar rebellion or something right um but we're certainly gonna see a lot of interesting Vorta stuff and a lot of interesting Odo stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, writing-wise, I think there are a, a good, solid number of good scenes. Yeah. Um, I certain. definitely like what it accomplishes for the overall story. Yeah, I'm certainly uh, interested in the entire episode. I'm never bored. I'm never. Yeah, I agree with that entirely. There, yeah. Even. It's well paced. The quiet moments are not boring. They're they're interspersed well with the more uh, action packed moments. Um, it's a tried and true tropey sort of plot. Um, but I you know I have pointed out a few things that while not fatal, I do think are uh, sort of slight head scratching. Yeah, of yeah. It, it, it's one of those. There were, there were. I think there were a couple of scenes they wanted to have happen, and they reverse engineered the story to make them happen. And sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. The question is, you know, how how annoying is it? 
I mean, you know, there, there's a lot in the plus column. We got an interesting layered look at internal Dominion politics. We got some nice continuity nods to a really good TNG episode. Um, some good character work for everyone involved. Um, as war stories go, this was a you know well done one. You know, there, there's a reason you go back to these tropes. They they work. Um, the the logical problems of not bombarding it from orbit or you know the killing way into the end. Yeah, they they don't they they don't quite work, but they certainly don't derail the episode. Well, one sort of major issue, if you ask me, is why neither the Federation nor the Dominion just send in a massive army to not destroy the gateway, but to capture it. You know, it seems like that technology would be quite useful, you know, to yeah. either party. And so why wouldn't they mobilize? Uh, like, it, it seems like something that Cisco should report on yeah. instead of acting on his own recognizance, you know. But also, wh why would the, the Vorta and the Dominion want to destroy it you know it seems like they should want to capture it like yes the the rogue gemadars it that's a problem but just kill them all you know send in ten thousand loyal gemadar you know to kill these 150 right yeah like poison the planet you know strip the atmosphere you know who knows right you could do all kinds of things uh just to sort of exterminate those rogue Jemadar and then still have the technology. Yeah. Um, so it, it's the kind of question that these sorts of plots almost always end up creating. Like if you have a thing, cause the gateway is not really important, you know, it could have been anything, right? It, it's, it's a MacGuffin, so to speak. You know, it, it's just a thing that motivates the characters, but isn't really, its nature is not integral to the plot. Right, it could have been a weapon or yeah. a disease, a resource, an endless supply of energy. Could have been a briefcase with a light bulb in it. Yeah. You know, which is what it is in, what is it, Pulp Fiction? Um, it's, it's a MacGuffin. Um, you know, but these sorts of plots almost always generate these kinds of questions because. You know, when you say what the thing is that is so interesting to the characters on both sides of the conflict, you know, if it's really that interesting, wouldn't they do this? Wouldn't they do that? Like, it's just, it's an endemic sort of problem for any yeah. plot that, that is like this. Um, <coughs> it's not fatal to the episode. Uh, you know, so I don't, I don't know how I, where I would stand on the writing. It's either a three or a four. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it's uh, there are average bits and there are above average bits. Yeah. Um, I like the acting all around. I don't think there's a sour note in the bunch, and there are several really good parts. I, I think both Ametaklan uh, uh, and his second, Ramataklan, yeah. or something. Did really um, yeah. good jobs. Like that, more than most other Westmore foreheads. Th that is a lot of makeup to act through, uh, and to have a facial expression. And they do a really good job of imbuing those characters with internal, you know, <coughs> internally consistent personalities. Well, actually, you know, the third speaking Jemadar role was quite good too. Uh, Scott Haven as Varukkara. Uh, Brian Thompson was Tamantarax. 
Is it is uh, it one of those universal things that apostrophes and hard case sounds sound aggressive? Does every species think that? Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. We we don't have to get into double A's and apostrophes and K sounds. And, you know, it's kind of like Krusty the Clown with K sounds. You know, it's like they're the funniest yeah. sounds. Kiokuk, Kukamanga. Um, uh, there's a Simpsons reference for you. Anyhow, uh, I thought Scott Haven was really good as Varuk Kara too. Yeah. Um, I liked his scenes with Dax. I liked their sort of, uh, you know, talk about aging. You yeah. Know? So you're right. It's uh, they did a great job casting the Jemadar. Well, there, there's something interesting. Like it's a little cheap, but there was something odd, like affecting about him making this the flat statement he's eight years old because the obvious implication in our heads is that he's a child and that 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 makes the it makes the Dominion's use of them as soldiers seem even worse. And yeah, they're like ch- the child soldiers of sub-Saharan Africa or something. Right. It just it, it and I, I believe that was a conscious choice and it was effectively done. It, it, I I gotta say for aside from the one scene of O'Brien and. Dax talking about the letters home, they managed to like skirt the edge very cleanly of not too much sentiment, but enough to feel interesting. Well, part of the problem with that scene is that he's talking, he says, what did he say? Average like two per year or something. Yeah. And it's like, who would live that life? Like you live in the Federation, dude, you could live literally, but that's not even my problem. My problem is, I watched the last three seasons of Deep Space Nine, and I don't remember all that exciting, interesting stuff. You know, it's like I was pretty fucking bored for two seasons, Chief. So when was it when you were the storyteller that you recorded, you know, a message for Keiko? It's it's like, yes, there were some action packed episodes, but I I feel like they went for that scene too soon. (laughs) This scene should have happened like two seasons from now after like the war has been in full swing for long enough you know so it, it felt a little cheap you know it's it's like a scene that's a normal part of this plot mm-hmm. but they didn't they haven't really earned it yet as far as because uh, i mean hell what have the last few episodes been right it's like uh you know the muse <laughs> was chief o'brien worried then um do you see what I'm saying, Kevin? I, I, I kind of, I, I, th- I think that his life has been threatened enough times. So I'm, I'm willing to let that one slide. A um, bar association. <laughs> uh, uh, hey, uh, the actors did a fine job yes, with it. Yes. I think it was was shoehorned in, in a in a way that was less than organic. Um, and you know we can't not talk about Jeffrey Combs. Uh, I think Jeffrey Combs in this episode catapults himself into the rarefied air of uh, Mark Alimo yeah. and Andrew Almost. Robinson. Absolutely, and it's great when they get to interact with each other too, because they're oh, sure. yeah, it's just genius. Well, uh, it's it's just they've done a really good job writing the parts, but also casting the parts. You know. The parts of these really weird, unctuous, interesting, sleazy, uh, mysterious kinds of characters. And it was so perfectly realized 
right out of the gate. Yeah. Know? Like, I mean, literally. Yeah, there was no uh, learning curve here. He just... Within the first five seconds of his appearance on screen, you know, you're yeah. like, oh, I like this. This guy's cool. You know, um, it's a, one of those characters you, you love to hate. You yeah. Know? And then you stop even hating him after a while. Yeah. yeah. You just kind of love to love him. <laughs> um, maybe maybe Golducat is... You, you continue hating him. Uh, you know, Garrick, you pretty much love him from the start. Yeah. Then you find reasons that you should hate him, but you forgive him. Right. Uh, anyhow. Yeah. These um, sort of te- textured, interesting characters. Yeah. Uh, Production-wise, I have no real complaints. Um, I <coughs> like the... the there, was a, there, there was a lot of big stuff here, but not in like a overdone kind of way like the shot of the station was cool it was a cool forest i liked the ziggurat inside and out you know they they did a lot with uh, what i imagine was a less than infinite budget um i like the Jemadar weapons um yeah overall i i, I like the shot of the Jemadar ship with the engine blown off like yeah. everything looked good no it was a very solid episode production wise um I don't know. I mean, nothing blew me away, but every nothing was like, oh, that doesn't look good. Yeah, everything no. was well done. Um, everything was very well done. In the balance, on the strength of just how interesting I find the episode and how well it holds my attention, and then the really amazing acting job by Jeffrey Combs, I'm comfortable letting this be a four. Uh, it's not the best four I've ever given. There, Those plot problems we identified are meaningful and problematic. But I think that this, this is a four for me on terms of how much they did and how entertained I am. Yeah, it, I agree with four. And it's mainly on the strength of uh, Jeffrey Combs yeah. and just the overall entertainment value. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's in a way that some Deep Space Nine episodes have failed to be. Uh, this is consistently exciting, entertaining, and has you wanting more, even if you have questions. Um, yeah. You know, it's a nice sort of return to form after, I mean, Shattered Mirror and the Muse. That's a one-two yeah. punch, yeah. Well, and look, e- e- even for the cause to some degree. Um, yeah, we've had... Not a, ter- not a terrible episode. But yeah, but, we've had very few missteps this season. Um, yeah, nothing... We only, you, only one one has been given out, and that was Shattered Mirror. And um, yeah, uh, yeah, that that Shattered Mirror Muse combo, oof. Um, but yeah, the, this is a great episode, hands down. It's just uh, really entertaining, top to bottom. Which is the Loaxana episode? The Muse. God, yeah, they really shoehorned stuff into that, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. Okay, yeah. Um, no, the the season, you know, we're almost to the end of it. Uh, we've got one, two, three more episodes to go. It's um, definitely been much more solid. I don't think it's really yet kicked into that sort of... I mean, like, so what, what was it with TNG? You know, would you say it was season three that... It's like suddenly it's like, oh, my God, this is so good. I can't stand it. Right. Yeah. Um, and it just kept being consistently good. Uh, I, f- 
feel like that still hasn't happened yet. Uh, for but... me, it has. Like from like Visitor Away of the Warrior. Like there's a there, there's a couple episodes in the middle of season four that aren't good, but overall, I remember thinking from what like once they really get into the Dominion, I'm I'm a happy camper. Well, see, I I think that's kind of happening now, in some ways, you know, they keep they've kept doing it in sort of halting steps. Yeah, you know, it's like they'll give us a two-parter or a three-parter, you know, or something, right? And then just give us ten more episodes of filler, basically, um, you know. And that's not to say those episodes are necessarily bad. It just it may, I just kind of feel like, wait, can't we go back to that? Can't we go back to that, you know, that thing that was really interesting and entertaining and I wanted more of it? You know, it's like, do we have to throw in a Bajor episode here? Um, do, do you know what I'm saying? So I feel like there's, it's coming. Deep Space Nine is going to just start nailing it and start giving, you know, episode after episode of the interesting thing. Like, they finally hit on the interesting thing, but it, it feels like they're not willing yet to just totally Commit, dedicate yeah. the show to it. Um, you know, I don't know. There, There is something different about this season. Yeah. And maybe it's right from The Way of the Warrior. You know, maybe it's, uh, you know, there's, there's a clear difference in tone. Um, you know, it's more more serious it's more uh aggressive militaristic um you know anyhow this was a good episode this yeah. is part of that trend um you know it's a nice <sighs> what's a good metaphor for this you know they, they didn't stick the landing with uh shattered mirror and the muse but the gymnast has gotten up dusted him or herself off and uh you know done another vault perfectly <laughs> you know um yeah, they, they did they didn't let it phase them i guess yeah <coughs> so that's an eight yeah that's an eight for to the death good episode and we're all happy to have jeffrey combs more regularly in our lives yeah well i you know i guess i really need to look and see how many appearances does he have um, it's interesting when you when you you do that, you see how many appearances a character has, and it, it always felt like it was more. And then you're like, really? That was only like six episodes? What the hell? Um, all right, so where's Wayne here? Wayne. Thank you for listening, folks. Sifting through data. No, I want to. I, I want to find out how many episodes William is actually in. And Memory Alpha is not okay. Oh, twenty-four. Okay, twenty-four episodes. Good. I'm excited. That makes me happy. Because uh, this is like one of those characters, and if you're gonna knock something on Enterprise, it's the fact that, well, okay. There, there are many other things to knock, but one of the big knocks is that they did not uh, capitalize on Jeffrey Combs as Commander Shran. 
you know, and apparently that was going to be a season five thing. Manny Cotto was going to bring Commander Shran on as a regular. Uh, it's like, eh, what could have been, I suppose. Yeah. But the fact that there's going to be 24 Wayun episodes, uh, so 23 more after this, uh, really makes me happy. It, it makes me feel like they are recognizing what's working, you know, and maybe this season is, I mean, look, we, we talked about it at the beginning of the season. This season is sort of, they were given a directive to shake things up, you know, to make it more exciting, to, yeah. to punch it up. And they did. And to some degree, when you're given a directive like that, you're going to try a bunch of different things and see what works. So I think, you know, I, I guess I'm thinking about my wrap up thoughts, but you know, if this season is about anything in my estimation, it's about, you know, finally cutting loose and seeing what works and being able to recognize it when it does. Yeah. Uh, and then do it again, you know, repeat it. So, so much to the, the previous three seasons has been like, floundering around trying to find a tone you know but not really uh going nuts you know not uh just being wild and experimenting um you know so to some degree i think this season has done that more and they've uh shown good progress at figuring out what actually works yeah and doing it again all right that said uh have a good night everybody yeah all right we'll see you here for the uh this that it's going to be the last podcast for season four i think we have one left yeah i think we'll do the season finale yep all right see you then okay good night